Well, good morning, saints. Have you ever struggled in your... <laughs> George said no right away. Let me start over again. Have you ever struggled specifically in your prayer life? In how to pray for one another? In how to... You know, when there are specific needs that come up, we, we, we know how to pray specifically for that specific need because that specific need has been brought to our attention. But for our loved ones, those particularly close to us, how do we faithfully pray for one another even when there's not necessarily a specific prayer point per se, when there's not a crisis before us, how do we pray for one another? By way of introduction to this, I'd like to take you to Nigeria and share with you uh, answers to prayer that have been lifted up for years and years, literally for decades. The Lord is answering the prayers of his saints And I'm just so excited to share some of these updates with you. We recently received a very kind gift from someone outside of our church uh, for the sickle cell clinic in Nigeria. We now have eight solar panels that you can see uh, on top, uh, solar energy. We now have solar batteries on the inside. We were able to raise the water tank, like raise it, finish the plumbing so that everything runs smoothly now. All of this means we now have reliable electricity and reliable and a reliable water supply. Uh, beyond that, we're also able to purchase a fridge because our research lab is now launching as well, and we need that for specimens. So uh, what all of this means is that we are now able to start uh, something we never expected a little wing for pediatric care, not necessarily sickle cell care. As I mentioned before, there's lots of uh, refugees coming over from Cameroon. Lots of people need care. They're now able to provide this care for people. And I mentioned the research lab. That wasn't in the original plans. But now we have the opportunity to serve the community in an even greater way. So join me in giving thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness, uh, for doing things that we never expected, even before Derwood Bible Church was a part of this picture. Amen to that. So I mentioned, I mentioned last week that Joyce Lynn's parents will be heading to Papua next month uh, to visit Joyce's grave site for the first time. Uh, since May 2020. Uh, Shortly thereafter, uh, the research lab named the Joyce Lynn Memorial Research Lab will be commissioned. It's just praises all around. Um, So we have recently begun a series in the book of Colossians. The key theme, as I mentioned before, is that Christ is preeminent. That means that Christ surpasses all others. He has no equal, he has no rival, and he has no threat. Jesus is Lord. He is the foundation of all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. 
Our worldview is built upon Christ, upon biblical truth, and not what culture tells us from generation to generation. From the beginning, the devil has always said, did God really say that? That old lie in the garden. Yea, hath God said, every generation, pushing, poking at the truth. (coughs) Excuse me. Last week, we noted the activity of the church, which which can be summed up in one word, and that is discipleship, growing to maturity in Christ. Jesus said to make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything I've commanded them. In other words, this same Christian dynamic of growth, Peter puts it this way, to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week we noted that a lack of such a focus and a lack of intentional activity towards this end within the church will show up outside the church. Because in order for the church to be effective outside the church, we need to have this together inside the church. We are to build one another up in our most holy faith. We are not to forsake gathering together in his name. For it is there that we provoke one another to love and to good deeds. It is when we forsake the gathering together that we inevitably become lackluster in our faith. We drift and we risk looking more like the world than looking like Christ. Now, this process of discipleship, of Christian maturity, involves rubbing shoulders with one another, getting into the messiness of each other's lives, encouraging one another with God's truth. And I'm telling you, Colossians is all about that. Supporting one another in life's trials and tribulations and teaching one another, helping one another to trust the Lord. And to serve him. We really can't do that outside of meaningful relationships. Now Paul offers a strong and effective means of discipleship. Of helping one another to press on to maturity in Christ. This aspect of disciple making actually need not be accomplished in the presence of others. It can be. This aspect of discipleship is prayer. It is that which we often accomplish by ourselves, not always, but often by ourselves in our own prayer closet. He tells us essentially not only today, he tells us to not only to pray, but he shows us how to pray. I'd like to say that the apostolic prayers are a treasure chest of information and guidance as to how to pray faithfully for one another. As you go through the New Testament, as you read the New Testament, you will see these prayers that are inserted into the letters of the New Testament. 
Sandy read one of them earlier this morning. I highly recommend that you consult and study them to help you learn how to pray, as we'll look at one this morning. Now, we can and we should pray for Aunt Helga's broken toenail. Those needs will come up. It is good to pray for one another as we face challenges, physical challenges. Of course, we want to support one another in those needs. But the thrust of the New Testament apostolic prayers are always focused on spiritual growth, on maturing in Christ, on standing strong and firmly upon the foundation of God's word and God's truth. In fact, I would say two things about prayer in the New Testament. You will not find specific prayers for the lost, for the unsaved. Not there. You will find prayers that focus on you and me, how we can grow in Christ. There's an assumption there that when we do, we will naturally be taking the gospel to the lost around us. And as I just said, the essence of the apostolic prayers, they're always positioned towards how you and I, as believers in Christ, will grow into maturity in Christ. That we would grow in joy. That we would grow in knowledge. That we would stand on that knowledge. That God's truth would govern our lives. So I wholeheartedly commend this prayer to you this morning as you consider your loved ones. How do I pray for those closest to me? How do I pray for those that I love even when maybe there's not something big specific to pray for? Moms and dads, this is for your kids as you pray for your family. Your nieces, your nephews, obviously, it's for all of us. So before we dive into this prayer, I'd like you to meet my grandparents. Some of you have are familiar with them. They're both now with the Lord. They were missionaries. Uh, they were raised in Great Britain. They were missionaries in Africa, the Congo, uh, then France, then England. Um, after 30 years in the... In Central Africa, uh, they moved to France where they were, my grandfather was a pastor of a small rural church for 17 years. But let me tell you something that struck me when I was younger about their ministry. Here was what their day looked like on most days. The morning, they would pray together. They would pray together for a few hours. They would start with those closest to them. They would pray for their grandkids. They would pray that we would meet a godly spouse, which thankfully I have. They would pray for those that they knew 
And that circle would get bigger and bigger. They would devote themselves to faithfully pray every morning. And I don't mean just a five-minute little session in between other jobs. Then in the afternoon, they would go to someone's home and have tea with them and visit with them. That would inform how they would pray for them. Now, I fully recognize it was a completely different time and also a different setting. But here's what always got my attention when I was younger. Prayer was the most important thing for them. It just was. They didn't talk about it. They did it. They were known as prayer warriors. Did they engage those under their care? Of course they did. They attempted to do that regularly. But for each person in their little congregation, they spent more time praying for them than they did talking with them. So what Paul models for us today is breathtaking. When you consider the depths of his prayer to God. So I'd like to, and we will eventually read the text, I promise. But I'd like to break down the essence of what Paul prays for in three easy ways. I don't think of this often, so please appreciate this. I'll start with the letter P. First one is this. Paul prays for their position. Or their posture. Paul prays for progress. And he prays for power. Position, progress, power. Each of these, each one of them is crucial in this link. In this, they're a crucial link in the chain of praying for one another and our personal growth. You take one away and we lose the fullness that God desires for each of us. There is a necessary place in our priority and lives in which we grow in the knowledge of Christ and in our understanding of grace. I'm calling that our position. How we are positioned in life. Our posture, if you will. When we engage God's word, we ask the question, what's here for me to learn? What is something that's new for me that I can add to my knowledge that I can build my life upon? In this process, we're bettering ourselves, we're growing, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds through the truth of God. It is a good and a necessary thing. We go nowhere without this foundational element. Knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing the truth of God's word. That is why the Lord has supernaturally gifted some to be pastors, to be teachers, and so forth. We need these guardrails. We need to safeguard the truth for healthy Christian growth. This is the foundation of our lives. If we build our lives upon faulty truths or really error, our life is going to look like this. We want it to be nice and square upon a good foundation. But as we know, we were never intended to amass simple head knowledge. 
and do nothing with it. We take what we learn about the Lord and we put it into practice. We need to take what we learn and put it into action. We need to apply biblical truth to our lives. That is, what we've learned about the Lord shows up in how we live. That's progress. Our spiritual insights don't just stay somewhere here or here. They show up in our lives and actually other people can see this in our life. Now we progress from position. Now progress from progression, from, from, from position, progress from position is a good thing. But it's not the complete picture. We need the touch of God. The anointing of his spirit. That's the power that Paul will pray for. This, my friends, is a picture of a healthy Christian. It is one who is assured in her walk with the Lord who is growing in the knowledge and in the grace of her Lord and Savior, who is learning to trust, learning to obey, who gives, as my pastor always said, no human explanation for their life. Essentially, that's what Paul is praying for. That as we live our lives built upon the truth of God, as we obey the truth of God, as we walk with the Spirit of God, that there, people cannot explain those Christians. And that's what we're after. So, how about we read the text? Colossians chapter 1 and verse... Nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. In every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I'm going to keep reading just for context. Um, For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of Of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, praise God, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So 9, 10, 11 is our focus. Position, progress, power. Let's get into it. What is Paul's starting point? Our Position. How we are positioned in life, our posture. 
That we would stand on a firm foundation. But even here, it is not mere book reading or head knowledge. At the beginning point, there is a presupposition for a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul expressed for the Corinthians his desire. He longed for them to enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Fellowship, that's a relationship. It's alive. It's dynamic with the Holy Spirit. And this is a work of the Spirit as we learn to walk with Him, which is implied in our text. Three key concepts in our position, he notes. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. All of these are positioned towards spiritual things. But please note, first of all, he does not desire for you a merely a miserly portion. He doesn't simply want you to have some knowledge. Enough to scrape by. He shows you God's heart. He wants you to be filled with this. God is gracious and God is kind and God is very generous. He wants us to be filled with His knowledge. The goal of his prayer on position is that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will. That we would know it. That we would stand upon it. That we would own it. That we would be confident in it. Now, think of your spouse, your children, your friends, your loved ones. Don't you want this for them? That they would stand upon a firm foundation. Paul wants the Colossians to be filled with God's word. For it to dwell in them richly. Watch this. He wants them to know truth from error. That's a big one for the Colossians. And spoiler alert. It's a big one in every single generation. For every single believer. He wants them to know clearly what God thinks about matters and how he wants them to live their lives in light of the knowledge that they possess. Possess. Really, when you think of God's will, think of salvation. Scripture tells us that it is God's will, our sanctification, that we would grow in the Lord, that we would be set apart for him. We know that he has guaranteed that we will arrive safely on heaven's shores. But note the conduit. This is important. This is all spirit-led wisdom. The spirit needs to take the truth from his word and quicken it in our own minds and in our own hearts. It is possible for us to excel in gaining knowledge, but to still be kind of dry and lifeless because it's just knowledge. 
Of course, I'm not minimizing the the knowledge of God's word. I'm simply saying that it needs to be alive in us. It needs to bring us joy. Lord, increase our capacity to receive and to understand spiritual things. So when we pray for one another beyond our specific prayer points, let us focus on our foundation, upon our position, upon our posture. That the ones that we pray for would be filled with a true knowledge of God's will. That they would be able to discern right from wrong. Truth from error. That they would look at culture and say no to the things that do not line up with God's truth. Which is most of it. If the word is our straight edge, we must become well versed in it and able to function in a Christ honoring way. But now there comes the point in every Christian's life where we act upon what we know. So we're gaining in knowledge. We're growing in knowledge. We're learning the truth. We're studying the truth. We're reflecting upon the truth. But beyond asking what is there, where is there a truth for us to learn? Another great question. What do I need to obey? What do I need to do in light of what I have just read? What is it that I need to do in light of what I have recently come to understand? We call this progress. Growth. Sanctification. Development. The great proposition in making disciples is that we're constantly on the move. We do not sit idly by and be consumers and not active participants what we have come to learn we act upon now there are some people who weren't here last week i have a little illustration bear with me for about 30 seconds i'm going to disrupt the sermon i need you to take to stand if you're able to just stand briefly where you are not going to call on anybody just stand I'm going to do this from time to time. Now take your hand upon the seat of your chair and feel it. What do you feel? You feel warmth. That is not the sum total of our participation in church to warm a pew or to warm a seat. You may take a seat now. Thank you very much. It is good to be together. It is good and necessary for us to gather together, but just don't let it stop with that that's my point and that's the thrust of paul's prayer that we would take what we learn and we would put it into action when we're with one another and even when we're not with one another consider the model that paul gives us in his letter to ephesians six chapters in the book of ephesians The first three chapters, rich, beautiful doctrine, teaching, who Christ is, who we are in Christ, how the Gentiles were brought in, 
We're all now one happy family. We call it the church. God's amazing work, his fulfillment of prophecies, the blood of Christ that redeems it. I could go on and on. All the beautiful key elements of our faith that we love, that we revel in. But if you have your Bibles, turn to the left. Skip over Philippians. Sandy took care of that this morning. And go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul could have stopped his letter at the end of chapter 3. Here's your knowledge. Here's your truth. Isn't it wonderful? Think about it. Pray about it. I'll see you later. That's not what he did. That is not what any of the apostles do. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner, a slave for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In light of all of this glorious gospel truth, live it out. Live your life in a manner that is consistent with your confession. Live your life in a manner that is worthy of the one who called you, who saved you, who forgave you, who redeemed you, and who will confirm or conform you fully and finally to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. I'll just note how we are to do that, because that's important too, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What Paul says to the Ephesians, he says to the Colossians, Peter tells us, James, they're all giving us the same message. Take the truth, obey it, live it out. Let your life match your confession. Do something about it. Apply it, obey it. Live it. Now here's the thing. When we take God's truth and we obey it, there is something beautifully that necessarily takes place. In fact, two things that takes place that take place. We bear fruit in our lives, and our lives are pleasing to the Lord. This is what Paul references. Do you want to please the Lord? Do you regret knowing the mistakes that you've made and the ways that you have grieved the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Do you feel guilty at times because you think you're not pleasing the Lord? My friends, here's the antidote. This is what Paul is praying towards. That we would live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Guilt should not be a part of our vocabulary as Christians, nor should the word shame But we also don't want to have a reason to potentially feel that way. Set your mind on God's truth. 
Learn it. Study it. Study it with friends. Believe it. Obey it. And watch what he does. It begets life in us. And you will bear fruit. Now isn't that as well what we all want? To bear fruit for the Lord? For our head to hit the pillow at night and say, you know, look at what God did today. Look at what God has done this past week, this past month. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn or scroll to the book of Psalms. It's pretty much right in the middle of your Bible. The very first Psalm. Speaking of my grandparents, when I was a kid, this was the first passage, and my grandfather made me memorize it. The first passage that I have memorized. I just want to focus very briefly on verses 2, 3, and 4. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is fruit. Yielding its fruit in its season. And its life does not wither. His leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Do you see the connect? You begin with the word of God. Of course, verse 1, you begin by deciding which direction you're going to go. Verse 2, you take the word of God, the truth of God, you read it, you love it, you study it, you meditate on it, you turn it around in your mind, you take it seriously, you own it. And then the most beautiful thing, God begins to work through you. You begin to, you begin to bear fruit, and it is a beautiful thing. Contrast, verse 4. The wicked are not so, but like the shafe that the wind drives away. I don't want to be like that. Let God's word settle deeply in your mind, in your soul. Let him change you so that you bear fruit for him. When you pray for your loved ones, pray that a solid foundation will be laid in their lives of God's truth and a clear understanding of his will through spiritual insight. That we would put it into practice, but don't stop there. There is a third tier. The icing on the cake. Pray for power. Pray for, the King James says, Holy Spirit unction. This is the secret sauce. This is where merely moralistic and spirit-drenched ministry go in a separate direction. I want the touch of God on my life. Yes, it is up to me to know His truth, to obey His truth, but I want the Spirit's touch on my life so that it is unmistakable who it is that is working in me. This is where people stop and pay attention to you, to what you're doing and to what you say. I'll take you back to my grandparents one more time. I mentioned before that while they were in the Congo, they experienced and witnessed revival of the most beautiful sort. 
revival in which many came to know the Lord and those who knew him took their walk with him to a much higher level. There were two people that were very instrumental in that entire process. One of them was actually an English missionary. He was a delivery truck person. That was his role. He would go from place to place and deliver necessary supplies for the villages and so forth. But here's the catch. He did so with a moan and a groan. He complained endlessly. I mean, honestly, at some point you got to say, why are you here if you're just going to complain about everything? Everything was a big deal. Everything was a problem. Everything, I'm woe is me. Look at me. Here I am serving the Lord. God got a hold of his heart. God convicted him of his complaining spirit. And he turned his complaining into rejoicing. And you know what happened? I can't remember his name. But he would go from place to place. And the people were astounded. We'll call him Mike. Who is this guy, Mike? The guy who complains all the time. Man, look at him. His face has the joy of the Lord. He can't stop talking about the Lord. It sparked a revival. Now there was another one. And this person was a Congolese. It was a single mom who had trouble making ends meet. And so she would, by night, go to other people's gardens and steal the fruit and their vegetables. Honestly, she did so out of necessity. The believers were a little annoyed with this, not knowing exactly at first what was happening, but then they kind of figured it out. And so their disposition towards her was one of judgment and annoyance because she was stealing their stuff. But everything changed on one day. There was a torrential downpour, a storm. My grandparents were in their hut and they said, well, obviously there will be no church gathering tonight. I think it was a Sunday evening. And obviously we don't even need to tell people that because the rain is basically coming down sideways. So there we go. But as they listened through the downpour, they thought they heard singing. And then they realized they actually did hear singing. The Congolese had gathered without them because the Lord was doing something extraordinary. This sister came forward and confessed her sin. She said, I'm the one. I'm the reason why you're down vegetables and fruit in your gardens. Not that that was a newsflash to anyone. She came up front. In fact, she crawled on the ground. She was so ashamed. She said, it's me. I'm sorry. Immediately what happened is the rest of the believers were so convicted of their cold heart towards her and the fact that they never lifted a finger to help her. They never entertained the thought, well, maybe we should take a collection and help her. And that was one of the sparks of revival. The Lord's touch. The sister acknowledged her sin. 
the rest of them acknowledged their sin. And they acted upon it. And the power of God was unleashed in their midst. My friends, this is the Spirit's touch that we long for, His anointing. For His strengthening to support us as we follow and serve Him. To serve Him out of His abundant strength. To serve Him according to the truth of His Word. We all know that New Year's resolutions normally fail right about now. Pray for the Lord to strengthen our undertakings to serve Him. For the Lord's special touch, His blessing, His anointing to be on His work through us. Do you see the pattern here? Position, progress, power. Let us be faithful to pray for one another in this way. That we would be well positioned. That we would live our lives in holy obedience in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. Thank you. For the truth of your word, thank you for your gracious patience with us, for the power available to us. May we be people who grow in our knowledge and grace of Christ, who obey what we learn, and who learn to walk by your spirit. May we be faithful in praying for one another to that end because we need it. So many challenges, so many heartaches, so many issues that we have to sift through on a daily basis. Let us be faithful to pray for one another in this regard. Thank you for the power. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acknowledging our sin. Believing that Christ is who he said he is. That he died on the cross for us. That he bore our sins. That he rose again. Trusting in none other, nothing else. Beyond the finished work of Christ. Our prayer is always that if there is anyone who has not received Christ as their Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.